where acupuncture excels like phenomenally is building lining. It is so easy to build a lining with acupuncture alone, mm. just, the, just the needles, like not even with herbs. Welcome to The Healing Corner with Emily Tennyson. Here, Emily talks with her guests about how the power of nutrition, detoxification, and tuning into our body's incredible intelligence can help knock us back into physical, emotional, and spiritual alignment. Now, here's your host, Emily Tennyson. Thank you for joining me today as we take a deep dive into fertility and acupuncture. Today's guest I'm so honored to host is Emily Marson, otherwise known as the fertility guru. She is a fertility acupuncturist specializing in the comprehensive, natural, woman-centered care at her clinic in San Diego, California. She graduated from Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. She's California and nationally board certified and an absolute expert in natural conception, psychoregulation, IVF, and perinatal care. Today, we're going to talk about how acupuncture can greatly, and I mean greatly, assist with the fertility process. This can happen in as little as one cycle or up to 12 cycles or more without Western medicine or in many cases in tandem with conventional treatment. You, like me, may have a renewed appreciation for, or for the very first time, you may be feeling astounded at the absolute miracle that babies are even conceived and then safely born after learning about everything that needs to happen in order for eggs to be healthy, sperm to be healthy, and oh, by the way, for them to be able to meet in an ideal environment that is routinely impacted by diet, by lifestyle, and by environmental toxins. The good news is that acupuncture and Chinese medicine practitioners like Emily can greatly support all of this. Additionally, one thing I wanted to highlight here in the introduction is that if you are struggling with fertility, but your doctor will not run your fertility labs because you, quote, have not been trying long enough by their standards, you can disregard that and run your own labs on a website called modernfertility.com for about $160. I'm all about taking power back into your own hands, especially when it comes to your own body. Um, I will link this information in the show notes for you as well. I personally watched my sister and some of my best friends struggle with fertility and go through the Western medicine IVF process. As a witness, this is heartbreaking, let alone if you are actually the one bearing the burden of it yourself. Emily is articulate, she's intelligent, and a huge advocate for women, and I hope that this discussion today sparks hope and action for you or someone that you love. If you know someone who's going through this, or if you're listening and you're on this journey, this episode is dedicated to you. So Emily, the first question I want to ask is about your background. I know that you earned your bachelor's degree from Bates College in Lewiston, Minnesota, and then worked in the financial sector for seven years. Mm -hmm. You then began working as a full-time model for a decade before deciding to earn your master's of Chinese medicine at Pacific College of Oriental Medicine there in San Diego, California. What inspired this big move to start serving women as an acupuncturist and a Chinese medicine practitioner? Yeah. So I was working in finance in New York and like hating it (laughs) and um, like right out of school. So I was making like no money, but working all hours and kind of doing like weekend warrior stuff. And I hurt my tendon. Okay. So then I had to have like a tendon repair surgery in my ankle and um, the surgery failed. Like they crushed a nerve in my surgery. Okay. And so I was like seeing all these Western medical doctors to help with like repairing the tendon and then the pain and then all these different things. 
And everyone was seeing me through the lens of their own specialty. Like they couldn't think outside the box, like the pain doctor said the issue was like nerve related. The um, muscle doctor said it was muscle. You know, like no one, everyone was really um, had a very narrow scope in, in explaining what was going on. And um, I finally went to an acupuncturist as many people do kind of like, as like a, well, I might as well give it a try. Kind of like last resort. Right. What is this like voodoo magic stuff? I'll right. Try. <laughs> um, and she was the first person to ask me about my whole body and how it related to what was going on and the pain that I was having there. And I was like, no, oh, this makes so much sense. Like you are a complete system, right? Um, I want to be this for people. And it was yeah. the really first time I felt heard too. Like a lot of, I mean, there, uh, Western medicine is, is powerful and has purpose. Um, but there's something about the process of Western medicine that's really not doing people justice at this point. Um, right. Like you feel rushed, you feel like you're not being heard. Um, doctors are only looking at labs and, and diagnostic tools instead of like hearing you. Right. Right. And there's like so much to be found in listening to the story. And so I was like, I got to, I got to like, got to be this for people. And so, um, at the time my sister, this was back in New York. And at the time my sister was out here in San Diego, um, for her postdoc and the, just happened that the, the, one of the best schools in the country for acupuncture was out here. And I was like, well, I'm just going <laughs> to do it. I'm just gonna just sort of move across the country and here I come. Yeah. And just, and it, it's a long, it's like a, it's a four year full-time master. So it's kind of a big commitment. Oh, yes. I was like, it's okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, so while that um, tendon and nerve injury was very painful, it was a very hard year for me. It really led me into um, acupuncture and like really turned my life in another direction. So I'm sort of grateful for Absolutely. that. Mm -hmm. disruptive events. Do you know what I mean? Right. Nothing like a huge injury, like a really disruptive <laughs> moment like that to really change your perspective when you're not getting served in the way that you want to be served by a medical practitioner. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So you work with women to increase their health and well-being. You reduce pain and stress through acupuncture. I've been lucky enough to experience acupuncture and love it so much. Um, you're also known as the fertility guru and the work that you do on supporting women in their fertility journeys, which I find so wonderful. Um, you have this on your website, but studies show that acupuncture increases the success of IVF by an astounding 65%, which is insane compared to the control groups that are not engaging with acupuncture. Right. How exactly does acupuncture support fertility? Okay. We're going to go in. <laughs> We're going to dive in. <laughs> so I first want to kind of talk about acupuncture in general. Um, so when you rub your hands together, it creates a heat, right? So you can get behind the idea that movement creates heat. Like when you run, you sweat. Um, so movement creates heat. So your organs move, right? Your heart pumps and your liver filters and your lungs expand. And so there's heat coming off of these organs that's not really accounted for in Western medicine. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so this heat is what we call chi, like heat is energy, right? You can get behind that. So this heat that we call chi in Chinese medicine, just like 
blood vessels and nerves that flow in certain patterns in your body, chi or this heat flows also in certain patterns. And these are the channels of acupuncture. So your heart heat coming off of your heart flows down your inner arm into your pinky. And that's the acupuncture channel for the heart. Now, if the heart itself or its heat channel, its chi channel becomes either like deficient or in excess or um, stagnated in some way, then you'll have symptoms. Okay. And so what the needles do in acupuncture is they kind of, they go in along the channel of the, of the, let's say the heart. And it's kind of like a bee sting where your body is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like what is this foreign thing entering my body? Mm-hmm. And it'll send like a histamine reaction, which is like blood and lymph and chi for more heat, right? To the area to either build up like a deficiency or bring that calm down, um, like excess or swelling or um, push through something that's stagnated so that that channel of heat from the heart can reconnect and balance out. And so then you'll see a disappearance of these symptoms. So for fertility, which is really interesting, a lot of women who walk into my clinic um, are very cold in their lower abdomen, okay? And fertility is all about, like Western medically, flushing the uterus and ovaries with blood. This is how you get the hormone signal to the reproductive system. Mm-hmm. And if they're cold, that means that they're not getting blood there, right? There's, not, there's a lack of presence of circulation to those areas. And so what the needles do is they go right over, there are many points, but some of them are right over the ovaries and uterus. And again, they bring the body's attention. What, what is this needle in here? Let me send blood and lymph to an, an area that would otherwise kind of been uh, forgotten about like lack of blood flow. So that's the foundation Western medically of how acupuncture is helping um, fertility. And then also Eastern medically, I go in along the channels of the organs that I find to be um, deficient in excess Mm -hmm. or stagnated to help balance, balance out the whole system Mm -hmm. um, in order to optimize fertility. I know that like you work with your clients between anywhere between like four and 12 months as kind of the typical time frame. Will you talk about a little bit about the four patterns that you've observed emerging in your practice that you find you tend to work with patients on over the course of that, you know, eight months or less or more together? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Western medically, they have found that, um, Women think that they're born with a certain amount of eggs, which they are, and then they degrade over time, right? Okay. So like a woman in their forties thinks that her eggs have slowly degraded, right? Um, but actually they found that that's not the case in Western medicine. So Interesting. When, yeah. So when you are born, your eggs begin the process of meiosis. So that is when the chromosomes separate so that they can meet up with half the sperm chromosomes and create an embryo. And then they kind of pause. Okay. So they start that process and then they pause until four months before that egg is ovulated. It becomes selected to continue the process of meiosis. 
to fully separate its chromosomes. And so it's at that point, four months before it is ovulated, that that happens. And that's where they find that most of the chromosomal damage happens. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Which means now, so why do women in their late thirties and forties find that they have more chromosomal damage? It's because they've just been around on the earth longer, picking up free radicals that damage chromosomes. Okay. Mm -hmm. During that process. So Mm -hmm. they just more exposure to toxicity. And so the chances of the chromosomes being damaged at that four month period is higher. So what's interesting though, is that we can affect egg quality. You just got to give it four months. Okay. So, right, <laughs> just need four months to get started. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if we start today working like through acupuncture and lifestyle changes and getting rid of your environment, like environmental toxins and things that damage chromosomes, then in four months, that little egg that we've been working on is going to be ovulated and it will be of a higher quality. Okay. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's at the chromosomal level. That's one thing I work on. And then I sort of mentioned that getting blood flow, Mm -hmm. um, that's the easiest change. Like if you don't have, if you have good quality eggs, but for some reason the blood is just not flowing to your ovaries and uterus, that's kind of like the fastest turnaround. We'll see, I'll see patients get, you know, pregnant in one month, like in the next Yeah. If we're just drawing the body's attention here and sending blood and the hormone signal is reaching the ovaries and the, and the, um, eggs, that's a really fast turnaround. I have a, have a, like a ton of patients who come in. Those are the patients who are like, this is magic. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. They're like, they're like, I've been trying for two years and you got me pregnant in one cycle, like, you know, in four treatments. It's incredible. I mean, I have a question. So when you say that, like many of the women that come to you have cold abdomens, are you saying cold that you're sensing through like observation and your intake process or like literally cold to the touch? Like, how do you just, you know, how do you know if someone's cold? Literally cold to the touch. Interesting. Yeah. You will like, you will place your hand hand on their arm or their legs and they're warm, but you go to their lower abdomen and it is like significantly colder. It is like a really, really interesting pattern. Like you, you can just, you can, and it walks in here, right? These women are looking for answers. And the pattern is, is that they are just at, at their root there for whatever reason. And this is sort of like Eastern theory, right? Like the reason behind why that happens, I can get into like Eastern, right? Yeah. Uh, constitutional, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. they all walk in, they have cold. Abdomen. So one of the first things that I actually have my patients do is at home, they put a hot pack on their lower abdomen every single night. For 10 wow. Minutes. Yeah. Is this um, like a castor oil pack or what? Or is it just like a hot? It doesn't necessarily have to be a castor oil pack, although that is great, especially if you have like stagnation in your lower abdomen. So pain mm-hmm. or scar tissue, some mm-hmm. sort of bad procedures or polyps or fibroids. Um, castor oil is said to soften hardnesses in Chinese medicine, but that's sort that's even like more advanced in our diagnostic um situation with patients, but literally Mm -hmm. if if you're looking for something really easy to change right now is to just put a heat pack on your lower abdomen every single night. And what that does is just draws blood to that area. And so that the chemical signal can come down, the hormones, you know, are triggered by 
your brain can reach your ovaries and reach those little follicles um, through blood, right? So like you can physically see, you put a hot water bottle here, you lift it up, your abdomen is slightly red, slightly red, blood is going there. That's like the easiest thing you can do and commit to early on in like your fertility journey. It's incredible. I mean, it's like as obvious as right now, my hands are cold and like my toes are cold. You know, I know I have poor circulation in those areas. And it's just amazing to me that it's, you know, a physical um, thing that you can observe just in real time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've talked about two of the patterns. Um, Do you have the two other ones that you can walk us through? Um, Let me think. So the, uh, one of the other patterns is PCOS, right? Um, So this is a little bit more complex. Mm -hmm. Uh, These women have been, um, uh, what's the word? Like through their lineage, um, like genetically predisposed to what's called polycystic ovarian disorder. And basically what this is, is they're finding, it's actually not an endocrine disorder. It's a a metabolic disorder where, so when in, in the past, when there's been famine, right? Usually their heritage is of some, descent that has had a population of people who have had a severe famine in um, their past, they, the body will hold on um, or, or resist insulin uptake into their, um, into their muscle. And what that does is it leaves um, too much sugar circulating in your blood. Okay. And too much insulin in your blood. It's not going into the muscle insulin, Got it. insulin mm-hmm. in the muscle, right? And so what that does um, is insulin, they found, can attach to estrogen receptors, even though it's not supposed to. So excess insulin is like circulating your blood, and then it attaches to estrogen receptors on your follicles in your ovary. And so it's blocking estrogen from reaching the follicles. And so estrogen is what um, needs to hit a threshold in order to have ovulation happen. Got so if it. there's not enough estrogen, then the follicles will kind of stall and they'll just kind of, they'll be little um, and they won't develop fully. And then you'll have long periods of time before you have ovulation. If you don't have ovulation, then you don't have your period. Mm-hmm. Okay? So these are the women who see their cycles um, go from, you know, 30 days to 90 days to, you know, um, four months to, they have a very irregular cycle because insulin is blocking Got it. ovaries ability to, um, ovulate. Man, and so nice. this is like, this is complex, right? This is, um, where lifestyle is a big deal mm-hmm. and you really have to get lower your insulin levels, which is hard because that means you have to get rid of your sugars in your life, like really strictly get rid of the sugars. And I'm not just talking like packaged sugars, I'm talking carbohydrates. Right. So these are the women, you know, that we, that have to go, that have to manage their carbohydrates and like in an app. And especially if they're looking to get pregnant, right? So it doesn't have to be super strict, all the time forever, right? Mm-hmm. I tell people mm-hmm. it's not forever, it's just for now. But if they want to have regular ovulation, they really have to restrict their insulin um, levels in their blood, which means restricting their carbohydrates. So, so that's when you like say, a, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, oh, no, no, you go ahead, go ahead. 
I was going to ask when you say carbohydrates, will you take that a little further? Is that like, you know, carbs, like breads and, you know, packaged things as well as fruits, like sugar and fruits. And okay. Yeah. I see your face. You're like, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. it mm-hmm. is. So usually yeah. I have patients who have PCOS stay below hundred grams of carbs a day. Um, keto is like 40. If that gives you like a reference. Okay. Um, so you don't have to go into ketosis, but you, but a hundred grams of carbs is usually limiting. Maybe you get a piece of bread a day. Um, maybe a little bit of rice, but really not like a box of cookies or any processed foods. Fruit can be very, um, sweet for a reason, right? It Mm -hmm. has carbohydrates. So limiting to berries, berries have the lowest amount of carbohydrates, but really Mm -hmm. cracking especially if we're looking, if we're trying to get you to ovulate regularly, the mm-hmm. patients who can commit to this, see their cycle regulate. And it's like, they have never had an, a regular cycle. And it's wow. And then once they have a regular cycle, like a 28, 29, 27 day cycle, then we can know when they ovulate, then they can time their sex around ovulation. Then it's just timing. And then we get them pregnant. Oh my gosh. These layers are like blowing my mind. I mean, it's incredible because I, my sister went through IVF and hormone treatment and everything. And, um, what an emotional process, you know, that is to go through the Western medical, um, the Western medical route, because they're not asking questions like this about lifestyle and diet. And it's incredible to me that you can see results in less than a year. I mean, you said you're getting the blood circulating to that area. You are then um, doing like the egg hormone access where you're getting, you know, within four months getting kind of the, I think you said the egg to release. I'm not, I may not be saying that right, but like layering all these things on and then you can get to like, okay, tackling something like a PCOS. Do you recognize kind of how complex or involved someone would need to be based on their intake form when they come to you? Are you sort of like have an idea like, okay, this is going to be quick or, you know, this may take a little longer. Yeah. No, you can, you can pretty much tell a lot of women come in and they've already been a little bit through the Western medical system, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kind of like my story. Like they have done Western and they haven't gotten the results that they want. So they come right. in um, or they're like avoiding the, you know, 20 to $30,000 of IVF. And they want to try oh. everything before they go into IVF, which right. I get both. I get like patients who have not done IVF, but have been trying for two years on their own and nothing has happened. And I get patients who are in the middle of IVF who have heard that acupuncture increases their odds. So I get both. Um, but you can, most of them have had their labs drawn already their Western medical fertility labs. So FSH, AMH, LH, um, estrogen, progesterone, prolactin. Um, are these all hormones that you're listening? Yeah. yeah okay. Thyroid. These are yeah. like, this is the, the, the fertility panel. And if you haven't there, and, and sometimes for whatever reason, OBs who are the front line to fertility before you get to a fertility specialist, they're like a little bit hesitant to run fertility labs unless you've been trying for a year. And it, you know, like for me, I'm like, I want to know now, like, why do I, have <laughs> I don't want to waste a year. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, maybe it's insurance, like insurance doesn't cover it. If it's uh-huh. a year, whatever, but right now you can, you can do run your own labs and it's through um, modern fertility. You probably have heard them or see, seen them on Instagram. No, I and haven't. They, Is that a company? Oh yeah. Modernfertility.com. Okay. And they send you like a little packet 
where you prick your finger on the third day of your cycle. So the third day of your period, you send it in and it's $159, I think right now, which is really cheap for the blood work that they're doing. And they, they um, send you a full fertility workup and your levels. Um, and if you, any of your levels are sort of out of um, range, then they'll give you kind of a write-up of what that means mm-hmm. and how to pr- pursue your, your doctor um, based on those results. And uh, so that's like a good start for people yes. who, are, who are looking to understand their own fertility, where they're at. Um, mm-hmm. So most women come in with some sort of blood work done. And so from the blood work, I can sort of gauge um, what, where in those phases that you just listed, they land. So if they have um, a a low AMH, which is uh, basically tells you how many eggs you have left. It's not like you have a hundred eggs left. It's like relative to um, your age then I can say, okay, so this is, um, at the, at the, maybe the second stage, it's not just blood. It's like, we have to work on getting those eggs that are left, those few eggs that are left in really good shape. Yeah. So that when they come out, they're ready to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, versus someone who walks in and their AMH is in range for their age and, but they're pale and they're cold and they overwork and they overexercise and they're stre- constantly stressed. Like this is, those are the patients who do really well, like very quickly when we send blood to the uterus because um, they're pale because they're, you can think of it as kind of like anemia, but in, in, in um, Eastern medicine, it's called blood deficiency, right? So we build up their blood using acupuncture and herbs and, um, we reduce their stress because they get to come here for an hour and yeah. <laughs> that feel good and they get to rest and they're putting in self-care, which feels like they're making progress on their own health. And yes, these are the, these are the patients that turn around really quickly and are pregnant in you know, one, one cycle. Incredible. Um, and then, like I said, like PCOS patients and endometriosis patients and Adomyosis patients, these are like the more complex cases where I'm usually working with a Western medical doctor Got it. Um, to uh, shape their fertility journey path mm-hmm. and get them to success. Yeah. Now, when you say, I just wanted to go back really quick. When you say building the blood, it's like increasing circulation, kind of getting things moving. It's more oxygenated, like just kind of Moving yeah. things around. Yeah. yeah. So that's like a, that's an Eastern medical term. Like when you are blood deficient, it means that you are just, yeah, you're not, you don't have enough blood in Eastern medicine and you don't, um, and it's not circulating well. Okay. And so what you can do besides, um, coming to acupuncture and getting herbs specifically to build blood, um, is you can, eat more meat. Okay. (laughs) This is controversial, but in Chinese medicine, it's one of the biggest things is you've got to eat. If you, especially if you are, um, on your fertility journey, which depends on blood, right. You got to increase your red meat like two or three times a week. People like freak out because all they've heard is that red meat, you know, is bad for your heart and, um, towards veganism and all that sort of thing. Um, 
but I'm not, again, I'm not saying forever. I'm not saying be a carnivore, you know, a strict carnivore for um, 30 years. Cause you will, you will not be healthy <laughs> right. um, for that many years. But while you're trying to give your body the nutrients to build more red blood cells and increase your circulation and warm yourself up, there's really no better way than increasing your red meat. Mm-hmm. In- so mm-hmm. I have patients have increase the red meat, meat intake. I have them, um, drink beef bone broth every morning. Okay. It. So it's really yep. nutrient rich. Um, and those two things, plus if I think that they're really blood deficient and they have really pale tongue, you look under their eyelids and it's very pale, their hair, skin, and nails are all dry. These are all blood deficiency symptoms. Interesting. They're cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then I will put them on like a Chinese medical formula specific to increasing um, their blood. Got it. Got it. It's amazing. I, <laughs> it's, so um, it's encouraging to just hear you say like, it doesn't have to be forever. You know, I have like vegan and vegetarian friends and um, I'm sure it's tricky when you have vegans or vegetarians come into you. I mean, how open are your, these patients to yeah. changing? <laughs> it's a real discussion. Okay. Um, the interesting thing is, is that I have a lot of vegans walk in here. Okay. Just like I have a lot of cold patients, I have a lot of vegans who come in. Yeah. What does that mean? Right. Yeah. They're not getting enough blood to support, um, their fertility, yeah. uh, nutrients, blood nutrients. And so if they're not, a lot of times it's not only their like value system, but it's also getting over like physically putting meat into their mouth, right. which I totally get. I totally get. So I've had a lot of success actually with um, vegans and having them take um, uh, organ supplements. So there's a like brand- desicc- desiccated liver and stuff like through pills. Yes. So yep. there's a brand that I like. Um, they're called Ancestral Supplement. Oh, yeah. yeah yep. you know- I've taken their beef organs before. Yeah. 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 So I usually have my vegan and vegetarian patients commit to taking those, which is less um, visually like uh, debilitating. Appalling. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right word. And I, I just, this is so funny. I just had a patient um, for a long time. She just resisted. She was very strict vegan. She wouldn't even take like the prenatals that had, that were wrapped in gelatin capsules. She's very strict and, it's a long time that we were just not making a lot of progress. And I had to have like a heart to heart. It was like, what can, what are you willing to do for this small amount of time until we get you pregnant and hold your pregnancy? Like, can we make a real push here? And so she committed to taking ancestral and like literally the next cycle she was pregnant. Oh my gosh. It been like a year and a half working with her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Oh man. And and obviously, like, well, not obviously. Do you keep her on that through her pregnancy then until yeah. okay. There Got was it. a little bit of um hesitation around um liver, um, uh, but we wrote to uh ancestral and the amount of liver is low enough that it is not there can be some toxicity involved with taking liver. Um, but it is, it is not at the at threshold. So it's much, much below threshold. So I am having her remain on it. Yeah, for sure. At wow. least until, so usually I have 
patients stay on um, their sort of fertility regimen until they make it to their second trimester where the odds of miscarriage go way, way, way down. Mm -hmm. So they've kind of made it. And also I have them come to acupuncture through week uh, 14. Then in their second trimester, they can come in and sort of spot treat their symptoms. Um, They've been like released from the program. I get them through the first trimester to help hold the pregnancy. And then they come back in their third trimester when like around week 36, when we can turn a breech baby and we can help ripen the cervix and um, prepare them for labor. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, I think it's incredible that you notice that, you know, there's such a big difference when you can incorporate like bioavailable meats like that. I mean, yeah. I remember when I was pregnant, I craved red meat. Like <laughs> I craved beef in a way that I have never really craved it. So yeah, it and like I mean, there's something to it, that. It's honestly, it's, it's not Eastern medicine. It's like your body is doubling its um, red blood cell production and blood vessels and if not tripling and your body's like, I need, I need some the, help. the building nutrients, like give them to me. Yes. <laughs> I, I once heard that like make, or, you know, growing a baby is like being a bodybuilder, really. I mean, you are literally building this other body. So it makes total sense that you would need more blood and like more, you know, let's, let's get, let's get it from those animals that are around us to help us yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. That makes total sense. Thanks for breaking that down. I think this is so helpful and I know it will serve so many women. Yeah. The, um, you mentioned like the, the last, like the fourth kind of pattern that you see or like work with is when people are having trouble with the IVF transfer itself, where you're actually partnering with a Western medical doctor. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Totally. So there are two parts to IVF. There's the stim phase and then there's the transfers phase. So I really like when patients come in before their stim phase. Um, this is when uh, Western medicine is building their follicles and they're going to extract as many um, eggs out of the patient in order to then fertilize them outside of the patient and her, and her partner. Um, and then the embryos fertilize and go on to then be transferred back into the uterus of the patient. Um, I like to work with patients at this stage, again, at the four months, four months before their stim, right? Because we are making the eggs that that IVF is going to extract the mm-hmm. best quality, right? Yes. I don't tend to have these patients come in four months before because they just don't know about acupuncture four months before their, um, their STEM, um, which is fine. What I can do during STEM then is to help either increase the amount of follicles that are um, produced in their ovaries or decrease the amount of follicles if they're going into hyperstimulation, which sometimes happens mm. with much medication. Okay. Um, and then where acupuncture excels like phenomenally is building lining. It is so easy to build a lining with acupuncture alone, just the, just the needles, like not even with herbs. Wow. Um, Actually, I take that back. So there is an herb that we use. It's called moxa. It's mugwort, if you've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. California, it's like a weed in California. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And basically, they charcoal the herb down. um, So it looks like a a black piece of charcoal. 
and you, and it burns at a really high heat. And so you, I will spend maybe a half an hour with each patient, just waving moxa over their lower abdomen. If we're, if they have a, a low response to their uterine lining, um, and, uh, for maybe four weeks, they come in once a week. Okay. So four, four treatments before their transfer and I'll, I'll do moxa and then I'll give them a stick to take home and do it every day as well. And so Eastern Western medically, okay. You're adding heat, right? We just talked about it. you're adding heat to tissue that wants to grow. Yes. And so you're just bringing blood to increase the lining, but moxa itself in Chinese medicine has hot properties. So like, you can think of it kind of ha- as emitting like um, uh, a, a chemical that then stimulates heat in the uterus in order to build the lining just by kind of coming in contact with the skin um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the lower abdomen. And I have had like so many patients come in and be like, I don't respond to... Um, IVF medication, my lining is not growing. They're going to cancel my transfer. Basically you want a lining between um, eight millimeters and 10 millimeters. And these patients have never had never gotten past like five, let's say. Okay. Yeah. Um, And literally in like four treatments, their lining is above an eight and their doctors are like, what are you doing? Like what's going on? Like why is Wow. Yeah, it's super easy and um, not complex. And so then with um, the lining being nice and supple, then you have a higher chance of transfer success because they insert the, the embryo into the uterus and along the lining. And then the, the embryo has a nice cushy space mm-hmm. to implant into and then start growing and be there. It's fed by the lining. So the growth of the embryo is fed by the amount of tissue that's there. Um, wow. And so there's a lot of success with that. Oh my gosh. That's, am- you must just feel so good after like I, successful things like that. I have the best job. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Now would someone not know that their lining is super thin until it comes to that IVF transfer process? Cause I, I mean, mm-hmm. otherwise it's like never getting sort of measured quote unquote. Right. Probably not. I mean, sometimes it's correlated to how heavy your, your period is. Um, but sometimes it's not okay. okay. Like, so you really, there are a bunch of things that are sort of only discoverable in IVF and that's sort of one of them. Mm-hmm. Your lining has always been thin and it's just not responding to your own estrogen bump mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. how the lining grows. Mm-hmm. Um, then you may need um, treatment and you not, you don't know it. Yeah. Um, the other thing is if you have um, like hereditary a chromosomal damage or um, uh, chromosomal abnormalities, you really won't know that until your embryos or your um, uh, embryos are tested in PGS testing, which is like the last stage of IVF, where they send your embryos that have fertilized and made it to day five to a lab to have the chromosomes um, checked for abnormalities. And so sometimes there are patients who have not gotten pregnant and, um, they have a bunch of eggs that are stimulated in the, in the stem phase of IVF and a bunch of them fertilize, let's say a handful, maybe five or six, and then they're sent to the PGS testing and all of them are abnormal. So that says, yeah, 
that there is something at the root of the, of their chromosomal process, like their meiosis process that is like really damaging their chromosomes. And so that those patients take a lot of treatment. Those okay. patients have to commit to weekly treatment for probably like six months to a year in order to change significantly change not only like their um, toxic um, uh, elimination, which is like how you damage your chromosomes, but also like their meiosis process and mm-hmm. their mitochondrial process and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I noticed that you had started like your own store, right, mm-hmm. of non-toxic products on your website, yeah. which I think is so smart because that is a huge component, like um, so much research about how we have so many toxins in our home from the time we wake up until the time we go to bed. It's all around us and makes total sense that it's impacting our our nature or our ability to get pregnant. Um, yeah, I... I'm wondering what are some of your favorite products either on there or, or maybe your four kind of big tips that you have for women um, on what to eliminate or what to watch out for. Yeah. So this is like, it's so interesting that like the toxins in our environment is not, they're like not really taken seriously. I'm not really sure why. Maybe no. toxins <laughs> is like kind of a trendy word and people don't think it's like real, but it is absolutely real. Okay. It is. Yes. Like, like free, the, the amount of free radicals hanging out in your body will damage chromosomes. Okay. And free radicals come from toxic products. So that includes, um, ender, any endocrine disruptor, which mean, means anything that latches onto estrogen receptors mm-hmm. where they shouldn't and blocking, um, your estrogen onto your follicles. So that's like phthalates, which are like plastics and linings of cans and nonstick pans. You got to get rid of all that. Like get yourself um, like a, a, what are those called? Um, a Dutch oven. Like, yeah. Dutch, I was going to say cast iron pan cast or iron, like an enamel right. pan. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, don't let any, if you use plastic, don't let any of it heat up. Okay. So if you're heating up plastic, it is leaching into whatever you're, you're heating. Totally. Okay? So like plastic bottles left in your car and they get hot that you are drinking (laughs) toxins. Don't you Um, just feel so let down by like every company that's making stuff like this? Like I, I was looking, I just loved like on your, on your website, you talk about like these endocrine disruptors. And I know that it's in everything from like our laundry products, even like I stopped using dryer sheets because. Oh yeah. Huge. That's a huge endocrine disruptor and no one's talking about it. And Oh, by the way, like so many women and moms are tasked with doing laundry. So it's like, right. aren't we just perpetuating this terrible <laughs> cycle? Yes. Um, and also, you know, a big thing right now during COVID is like cleaning products, right? So I don't let my patients touch bleach, Clorox, Lysol. No, these wow. are huge, huge disruptors to your chromosome success. Okay. So there are clean cleaning products. I like branch basics. I sell cleaner soul, which I like as well, because it has a little bit of scent branch basics. It doesn't have scent. Um, and getting to scent, right? Like anything that has scent, that's not, uh, like an essential oil. We'll get to lavender too. Oh yeah. We got (laughs) to talk about that. Yep. Um, is basically toxic. So all of the deodorants that have scent hugely toxic. Okay. 
um, like laundry, we mentioned um, hair, skin and nail products. Basically all have scent like hair, especially Um, Mm -hmm. think of what you're putting on your skin every single day. Mm-hmm. These things are going to be absorbed into your skin and they, and they, and they have shown it's just as talk, right? They are doing, they have research now, especially um, they've done a lot of research on rats and their um, the effect of these products on their miscarriage rate, on their inability to ovulate. And they're finding that they absolutely hundred percent affect the fertility. And so, we're putting more amounts of these things on us and our skin. Right. And so I just say, you've got to really clean up your life. Yes. There's a really interesting um, study also about water and like the heavy metals in water mm-hmm. um, where they looked at these uh, cities and neighborhoods that had like heavier amounts of um, chemicals and, and heavy metals in their water. And they found a correlation between miscarriage rate and the amount of um, metals in the water. What was also really interesting is that they found for those women who had successful pregnancies, there was a higher than anticipated uh, rate of female births. And they thought, interesting. Well, why is this? Okay. And the reason that they, they are sort of um, theorizing is that the Y chromosome is very fragile. So like if you have an XX, which is a female, you have kind of double the copies, right? So if one of the chromosomes on one of the X is a little bit off, then the other X can sort of sweep it out, right? And cancel it out. But if you have XY and Y, something on the Y chromosome is off, then you don't have any replacement for it. And those, and the, and the male XY embryo will then be miscarried. Wow. It's real. Like this stuff is real. <laughs> it's not just like, Oh, trendy, like non-toxic, you know, like we really, this is a, a big thing to convince my patients of, um, as part of their fertility program. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's incredible to me that like in as short as four months or less, you know, you can make a real difference in your journey and in, in, in like the, the baby you're trying to build and in your own personal health too. I remember when I was pregnant, before I got pregnant, we, um, we put a shower filter head on our shower and it was called the destroyer. It's like, we lived in Seattle at the time. Yeah. It filtered all of our water. So like water can absorb through your skin. It's in your hair, it's everything. And then we also had a water filter on our drinking water. And I, I like to think that it helped quite a bit because you're right. There's so much in our water that we're just not aware of. And um, we don't assume that there's anything wrong with it because it's deemed as safe to drink. Um, so it's, it's just amazing what goes into all this. You also talk about like solvents and pesticides, you know, that's a huge thing too, where that's everywhere. I mean, a lot of that stuff is everywhere. So really getting women to clean up their, or be aware of their environment seems like such an important tenant to your work. Yeah. And there's, you know, of course you can um, look at the dirty dozen in terms Mm -hmm. of pesticides. Like that's the first place to start in terms of buying the right type of produce and um, totally like changing, you know, organic is um, more expensive obviously. And so just starting with dirty dozen is a good place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a great app. It's called think dirty. 
Oh yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You can scan your products that you have at home and it'll rate um, how toxic they are. And Mm -hmm. you'll be surprised. Like the other day I was, I was like um, out and I didn't have my baby sunscreen with me. And so I went to Target and I got, um, I don't even know if I should be like calling out brands, but you can, that's all right. Go for it. (laughs) Um, But like a baby Gannick's like sunscreen, Uh okay, like organic. Right. Okay. So then I got to the park and I was, you know, lotioning up my son and I looked at, I scanned it on think dirty and it's like, it's like a red. I I was like, I was like, what, how can you brand yourself as like, it's so misleading that it's like organic, but it is um, toxic. I know it's such a, I mean, good for, not good for them, but like they were smart to have that name because I thought the same thing. We have the bubble bath and the baby soap and the lotion that I put on my newborn. And I remember looking at the ingredients, you know, after we had like used the whole bottle and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I thought it was, you know, on top of this, but it's so easy to just be, you know, be able to do that because it does take this barrier of like, okay, it's going to take me a few extra minutes here um, to research it. And you can't do that all the time. And it's almost like your desire to like make time for that has to exceed your desire to like get somewhere quickly or to whatever, be in a rush. Um, which I imagine many of your patients are finally kind of at that threshold of like, okay, I'm ready to, to change some things. So, you know, lay it on me. Yeah, exactly. And I I just want to touch on lavender because it's not, not a well-known thing that it is an endocrine disruptor. So again, what that means is that it, it hitches on to estrogen receptors and there's a good story behind it. Like how they found that out is there was a pediatrician who had two, um, prepubescent males come into his office. So there are not hormones circulating in their systems yet who both had developed like breast tissue and Mm. what is going on. And the only thing that he could find that linked the two boys was that they both used over the counter, like lavender products. So like lotions and that sort of thing on the daily. So we like wrote about it in a publication um, and then kind of left it at that. Oh, and also he had them stop using it and then their breast tissue reduced. Oh my gosh, that's nuts. This is all just from stopping using lavender scented products. (laughs) Yeah. So he was like, there's something here. Let me just throw it out to the community. So a couple of years later, um, some researchers picked it up and they studied it at a a, a micro, uh, micro level. And they found that lavender is close enough to estrogen that it can hook onto the receptors and, you know, um, make, have dysfunction in the estrogen development in these boys, but also in everyone. Wow. It's little known because lavender is very much used in like the wellness community. Right. Um, especially for women's products. I mean, especially for women's products, people are putting it like on their pillow every night. They have it going in their office. They have it you know, on their, all their lotions and, and their hair products and that sort of thing. And they think it's like nat- natural, which is natural. Right. And I, and I say, you don't have to like get rid of lavender again in your whole life. Like when you're trying to conceive, like these are the things you have to be kind of strict about. Okay. Mm-hmm. But like if you walk by a lavender bush and you smell it, you don't have to be like afraid that you're like not going to get pregnant. Right. Like, right. It's really like when you are putting it on your skin every day that it has an effect on your fertility. And it's these like these little things that can kind of add up to all of a sudden you have unexplained infertility. 
Yes. Well, let's take those factors off the table yes. and then see what's going on with your body. Yes. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with Karen Hurd. She came up, she's a nutritionist and I've talked about this before, but um, she created something called the, the bean protocol. And it's for uh, a lot of men and women, but women um, who deal with like a crazy PMS symptoms or like have, like I have cystic acne that I'm trying to get rid of. And one of her things is like, you need to get rid of all fragrances because it messes with your hormones and it aligns perfectly with what you're saying. It's like, I didn't know that lavender aligned very closely with estrogen. So of course it messes it with your body. And you've said this about tea tree oil as well. Yeah. So they're finding that tea tree oil also is an endocrine disruptor. Um, I don't, it doesn't have a great story like that, but they are finding that it is, it is linked. And tea tree is also something that people use um, for their like the clean scent or cleaning yes. products. Yes. Um, so I, I avoid those two essential oils in yep. In my practice for sure. Oh, makes t- yeah, total sense. Um, on the subject of hormones, you, you know, this is, sounds like, um, such a big factor in your business. You said that your number one recommendation or one of your top ones is to get off of hormonal birth control, basically yeah. like as soon as you can, which I'm laughing because that's all I was told, like during my teens and twenties is like to be on that, especially to like help with your acne and like all these things. Um, can you talk about why this is so important? Yeah. So a couple of reasons. Okay. So, um, putting yourself on or getting on birth control is just masking what your body is trying to say. Okay. So like if you have hormonal, um, acne, your body is saying something like in Chinese medicine says, I have heat, 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 like, and, and damp heat. So in Chinese medicine, and when you get on birth control, it's just a band-aid, right? And then when you get off, your body's going to be like, you didn't hear me. Yeah, you didn't do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so if you're really trying to be in tune with what your body is telling you and how you, and how you should then adjust your life in order to um, bring down these symptoms, then you have to be off birth control. And the, the thing, okay. So if you're using birth control as um, protection against getting pregnant when you're young, then, or, or whenever, not yeah, necessarily right. when you're young, um, uh-huh. then you have to weigh kind of the risk benefit of, of an accidental pregnancy versus like um, shutting down your hormonal system. Okay. That's fine. But if you're put on birth control when you're 14, because you have heavy period, painful periods. And the doctor says, this is the way to get rid of it. Like that's not the intended use of birth control. And you are literally shutting down the signal from your brain to your reproductive system. Then when you get back, when you get off birth control and you're trying to conceive, your body's like, oh, I haven't been used in 15 years. Like, what, what, what do I do? And right. how does this work? And this is where we see see a lot of patients come in and they've been on birth control for decades. And um, it's their body not knowing how to function. And your hormonal system is fundamental to your well-being. And so right. you're just shutting down basically your well-being. And I get that symptoms can be difficult and hard, but there are natural ways to combat these 
excess, usually excess symptoms that your body is trying to say something is not, something's not functioning right. It is not natural to have pain during your period. Okay. This is like a, this is too many prostaglandins, right? Like this is... Oh, I was going to ask, are you talking about cramps? Like when yeah. you have a period or, yeah. okay. You can have cramps and you can feel cramps, but pain where you are, you cannot go to school or um, you can't go to work and you feel nauseous and you're sweating and you're like, I can't even get out of bed. Like your body is like, something's not, something's not right. Some, the hormones are not functioning the way that they should. And that's when you want to, adjust your life so that you don't have these disruptors blocking the signal that could then otherwise be telling your body to say, Hey, 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 something's wrong. Or you want to see an acupuncturist or an ND to figure out what levels are off and how to adjust your hormones back to the levels that make your well being optimized. Um, and so Hormonal birth control is, is putting a paper towel over a leak. Okay. You, when you get off that leak will come back with like a vengeance. Yeah. And so, um, it's not a fix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cover up. Yeah. I mean, would you recommend someone just kind of rethink their birth control method as soon as they can? Yeah. Um, particularly, yeah. okay. I would. So it's women, um, we're not taught about our cycles in health class, which is, which it absolutely should be taught. Like, instead of like, I mean, uh, like instead of a condom and a banana, like let's learn about our cycles. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You are really only fertile for 28 to 48 hours of the month. Mm -hmm. Okay. So knowing when you're, you are fertile and then choosing to protect yourself in other ways, like a condom or not having sex, um, that is a great way, um, to protect your, to have birth control. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can like live your life the rest of the, of the month. Right. You don't (laughs) have to be taking medication for something that is a, a span of like 48 hours for, um, you know, 15 years. Right. Right. Yeah. Two days a month. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, learning about your cycle and specifically BBT charting, basal body temperature charting can tell you a lot. It can have you understand your own body. Um, Mm -hmm. and I can, I can go into it a little bit like basal body temping is when you take your temperature before you get up in the morning. So like before you go and go to the bathroom, um, before you really move at all, your body is at its base temperature, its basal temperature. And in the first phase of your cycle, so from cycle day one is the first day of your period. Okay. So the period is at the beginning of your cycle. People are confused about that. Yep. So um, from cycle day one until you ovulate, usually your temperature is around like in the 97s. Most women are in the 97s. Then once you ovulate, your temperature jumps and it's usually close to 98s or in the 98s. And so you can say, okay, I have ovulated. If you see this biphasic shift, so you have um, the 97s in the first half of your cycle and then sort of like the 98s in the second half of your cycle. And um, 
you can say, okay, over the course of three months, usually I have this shift up in temperature around day 13 or 14. So I know that I ovulate around day 13 or 14. So perhaps I should protect myself. Or if you're trying to get pregnant, have sex, like five days, six days around the, the average shift in temperature, just to be overly cautious. And then the rest of the month, there's no chance you will get pregnant or yeah, on both ways. Right. On both. If you're trying, right. Or trying, right. right. So you can, you can really come to understand your body. If you just take your temperature every morning, which yes. is just as easy as taking a pill every night, right. you know, like let's just right. do that and learn about mm-hmm. our cycle. Also BBT charting is great when you have um, some sort of hormonal imbalance it'll show up in your chart. Okay. So you usually want this sort of biphasic shift, but if your chart looks like a seesaw up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, that says that there's a hormonal imbalance and then you can do um, labs and further investigate what's going on. Right. 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 And just, I love what you're saying because it's like empowering women to just be in tune with their bodies, which we've never really been educated on or given the tools to do. I mean, it's like, it's not that hard to think about like taking your temperature every day and um, to really get a lot of knowledge from, from that. You know, what's even more amazing. So um, when you ovulate the day that you are ovulating, your cervical mucus changes and you've probably, maybe you've heard of like egg white cervical mucus. It's like Mm -hmm. a, um, you'll maybe find it on your underwear or when you wipe, it's like a clear sort of stringy mucus. That is the day you are ovulating when that changes. Basically it's an uptick in estrogen so that the sperm can get through the cervix. Um, other times of the month when it's more sticky or creamy, that is not conducive to fertility. Like the sperm cannot get through that sticky. Interesting. Okay. Another amazing way your body communicates that it's ovulating is that um, there are these ferning kits where you um, like, uh, I think you like lick a slide, you put it underneath the microscope. And when you are fertile, your the um, like the pattern of your saliva will fern out. Interesting. Oh my gosh, it's wild. wild. Right. But it'll be fern like, like the tree. Right. And then when you're not fertile, it won't be like that. Oh my gosh. So it's like everywhere in your body. Your body's just yeah. like changing. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And there are so many signals. And really, like some of the best work um, I have is is like educating women about themselves. And um, it is empowering and it should be taught. I mean, we are yeah. women are dealing with shifts in their hormones every single week. And like, mm-hmm. like a funny, haha sort of like patriarch thing to be like, oh, women are moody and like their hormone shift, but like, it's a physical thing. It's not a mental thing. Right. When you right. have, you know, when your progesterone dips, like you will feel more irritable. Like th- these are like physical biochemical responses. Mm-hmm. And so if women knew more about why they're feeling the way they're feeling or what's happening in their body, then they can feel empowered to understand their day-to-day life and what absolutely yes love it yeah (laughs) emily i have one actually i have two more questions for you um if you're up for it um i'm wondering if you can talk at all about the uh just like if you ever see that it's really like 
not so much what's going on with the woman, but maybe it's actually what's going on with the sperm of the man. Yeah. Yeah. So like 30% of the cases are male factor fertility. Yeah. That's That's a lot. lot. That's way more than I would have guessed. Yep. Um, and some, some studies say 50, but, uh, it's definitely 30 at least. And it's, you know, it's interesting, like infertility, the burden of infertility falls on the woman, right? Women are the only people who come in here. Like, even though (laughs) it could be, you know, like a male factor infertility, but the weight and the mental stress of it lands on the woman. I think probably because there's a sense of urgency um, because there is a limit to a woman's fertility and there's not really for men in terms of time. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I always, always, the first thing I basically ask a patient is if their part, their male partner has had a semen analysis because a woman will come in here and spend and want to spend all the money she has to get, to get herself pregnant. And I'm like, what, what if it's not you? <laughs> right. So you are spending money on the wrong thing, right? The wrong treatment. And so I really just want to clear the partner out of the picture. Yeah. Just and like cross that off the list. Right. Yeah. So if you are beginning your fertility journey, that's one of the first things I would have done is a semen analysis. And, um, again, sometimes, um, there's some hesitation from doctors about how long you've been trying. And if that's the case, either just say you've been trying for a year or, um, there are at home semen analysis kits that are as accurate as um, labs now. Yeah. So, uh, I think one of them's legacy. I can't think of the other two brands, but I can, I'll email you them. You can link them in the, the sure. I'll link them in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, they're just as accurate and you can get, um, motility, mobility and count sort of looked at and make sure that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that can really provide some information or some red flags as to like what's going on with the guy. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. And, and like, um, you know, it's also interesting. There's a little bit of like hesitation from men because, their, their um, manliness sort of is attacked. Yeah. Them, right. right? We don't want to know if it's their sperm because there's some sort of like association with their manhood and their yes. sperm, right? Yes. And that's fine, but that's fair. Okay. It's like a reality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a reality. So sometimes there is hesitation. Um, but if there, if the sperm count or quality, um, comes back a little bit low. Luckily they turn over the sperm turns over so quickly that like usually seven to nine weeks that they're making new sperm. Um, yeah. Then we can, we can just affect their quality pretty quickly with supplements. Really? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. If, If it's, um, if it's sort of basic in nature, um, then the, actually, I really like um, FH Pro. I actually have them right here. Um, for men, they've done studies on their on their uh, um, on sperm quality after men who, after men who have taken this. I think for four weeks. And Don't it's a supplement. Yeah. It's a supplement. Yeah. And so basically, it has all of these antioxidants that have been studied to affect um, sperm health. 
and quality, utility, and mobility. And they did independent research and found that it increased all the parameters. So it's pretty easy to affect. Um, I mean, just in one month, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the the mail doesn't even have to come in here. uh, So you don't really have to like, you don't have to have that conversation with them. Um, You just have to sort of convince them to get on some supplements. Um, One thing though, that absolutely affects sperm is marijuana. And so I'm not sure where you're located, but in California, it's, you know, we have a marijuana um, dispensaries all over the place. So it's like a thing here now. And they found that marijuana like makes the sperm act high. So like, you can think of them as like the sperm, like just don't know where to go. They like don't know how to get up the cervix. They're just slow. And they're like kind of hanging out. They're not doing anything. <laughs> Obviously they're not high, but like, you know, the sperm they, are they, high. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They act that way. Right. Um, and so there is usually some contention between the partners. If the woman has to go and ask the, the male partner to not smoke anymore or edibles. I don't even like CBD really, but, um, but especially um, for like a committed amount of time, you know, two or three months, let's say if the first month it doesn't happen. Yes. Yes. I mean, it makes, yeah, total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Guys don't want to hear that necessarily, but no, they're part of it too. It takes two to tango. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Thank you for breaking that down for us. My my last question I want to ask you is a personal one. I know that you welcomed your first baby last year and as an expert in fertility and as a a healthcare provider, I'm wondering if you could share some of your journey and what, what you found helpful or supportive um, either in conceiving or during your pregnancy. Yeah, totally. So um, my husband and I got married in July of 19. And then we knew that we, you know, we went on our honeymoon in August and we knew that after the honeymoon, we wanted to like try as soon as possible, but doing what I do, um, I wanted to run my labs, my fertility workup. So I ran mine through modern fertility. I was 30, I'm, I was 35 at the time. Um, which is considered like advanced maternal age. I know. Um, that can be yes. Absolutely. Like, don't take that. I'm 30. I was 35 years young. Okay. So, yes. um, so I ran my labs and I, my AMH came back low for my age. So usually typically in your thirties in your mid to late thirties, you want your AMH to be over like a 1.5 and mine was a 0.7. Oh, and wow. Yeah. So what that says is that doesn't have really anything to do with egg quality. What that says though, is that I will most likely go through menopause early. Okay. Because if I have a 0.7, it's correlated with how many eggs you have left. If okay. it's minus 0.7 and it should be like at a 1.5 or above, then I have fewer eggs than women of my age. Okay? Got it. So I was nervous that it was going to take me longer to get pregnant um, because I have fewer eggs and I need all of them to be high quality, but everyone has abnormal quality eggs, no matter if you have toxins around you or not. And so the odds of, I wanted to increase the odds of my, the egg that's ovulated 
it's coming out each cycle being of higher quality. So I told my husband, I wanted to get on my own program. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, we both took, um, supplements. I took the female version of FH pro, which has antioxidants to help sweep up free radicals. He took the male version of FH pro, um, we got rid of all of our toxic material in our mat, in our house and we stopped drinking and smoking marijuana, him especially. Um, and then we um, didn't travel. So we weren't exposed to the toxins of like um, uh, air flight. Yeah. Um, and we, inc- I increased our red meat. I had, I had, um, bone broth every day. I exercise regularly, but not over exercise because that can kind of dry up your tissues. And then I treated myself basically every day when I could. Um, and then also I did infrared therapy on my lower abdomen, which I have here at the clinic, um, okay. which basically is like a heat pack, but infrared. And um, another thing I made sure of is that I was having a regular bowel movement because that's how you process out excess hormones. Okay. It's important to not block your, your fertility success. Mm-hmm. So we did that for um, three months without trying. We did not try um, purposefully because I didn't want to try um, and either miscarry because of a abnormal chromosome or try and be disappointed when I know that I'm working on an egg that's coming out in four months. Right. So then, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like psychologically, there's a, there's a big psychological component to fertility as well. And so the fourth month we tried and I was tracking my BBT all the months so I could see my patterns of ovulation. And then when I knew I was in my fertile window, we tried on the fourth month and we got pregnant on the first try. Wow. Amazing for how low my AMH is. Um, Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And now I can, you know, I can empathize with my patients. Um, and also going through the program of my, Mm -hmm. um, promote and also sort of validate the success personally. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's awesome to hear. And it's neat to just, you know, see that you're personally invested in this as well. You know, you're serving yourself and others. So yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, just to wrap up what you offer your clients and where everyone can find you. Yeah. So, um, I'm looking in San Diego and, um, I have a clinic here and then I do telemedicine if you're interested as well, you can find me at acupuncturebyemily.com. Um, I also have an Instagram that has a ton of educational information on it. And that's at acupuncture by Emily as well. Um, those are my two main sources of um, information if you're not local. Mm-hmm. And then of course you can set up a telemedicine as well. And if you're in San Diego, um, come on in and say hi. Emily, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this with anyone you might know that is currently struggling with fertility in the middle of the IVF process or might be planning to conceive soon who may find this information helpful. You can find me over at healingcorner.net or at healing underscore corner on Instagram. That's it for me today. See you next time.